Well, let me ask you a question to begin. Uh, If you had a dignitary coming over to your home, somebody that you respect, somebody you admire, look up to, maybe uh, the president of the United States, uh, you know, and putting your political views aside, just think of the office, right? President of the United States or the governor or the king of some country that you really like. And let me ask you this, what would you do in preparation? And when that individual got there, what would you eat? What would you serve as the meal? Uh, Would you pull out the leftover Taco Bell that you had last week as they're walking up the porch? Oh, we've got a few tortillas. Smell it. I think this is good, right? This will make it. Uh, When I was just graduating from college, I had a friend who worked for one of our former presidents for a while. And we kept trying to convince our friend to invite him over to our apartment. And our plan was to have him over and serve macaroni and cheese, Kraft macaroni and cheese, which is the best. We loved it. Every, every week we would have a big party. We would make six or eight boxes of this, and this was our dinner. And we thought, wouldn't the president like this? To come over to our apartment and eat macaroni and cheese. For whatever reason, our friend was reluctant to invite him and never actually did. Uh, looking back, I think that's probably good. I would change the menu now. I would do things a little bit differently, and maybe you would say the same. I realize that as Americans, we're often casual about meals and about the way we approach dignitaries, and yet most of us would say, yeah, if somebody important were coming over, somebody that I really valued, that I cared about, that I respected, uh, I would cook my best. I would clean the house. I might even mop that week, right? I'd make sure it looked good. I would dust in all those places that I've never dusted because I would want to honor that person. Now, as we think about that and we think if a human being that we respect is worthy of that kind of honor and respect, how much more God? Imagine for a minute that Jesus in the flesh came into your house, sat at your table. Uh, What would you eat? Would your house be clean? Would you wear clothes that were appropriate for the occasion? Now, I realize that all of us would recognize on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis, certainly Jesus is there. But what if he were actually there sitting at your table? How would you act? What sort of respect would you afford him? Uh, We tend to give... Martha, a hard time when we read Luke 10 because she's busy making all these preparations and this big meal. And Jesus says, Martha, really just one thing is necessary and Mary's chosen the better part, right? She's sitting at my feet and we tend to go, Martha, yeah, what's wrong with you? Uh, When in reality, I think most of us would say if Jesus were sitting there in our home, we would want to present our best. Now, what we're going to see as we walk through our passage today and as we look at some principles of worship from the Scripture, what we're going to see is the reason that Jesus commends Mary. It's because Mary understood that worship is ultimately about giving God you, about giving yourself to Him. And so the externals, what you give, what you say, how you act— how you dress in worship, those are all external reflections of your heart. What God really wants is for you and me to respect him and honor him with our lives, our attitudes, our hearts. Uh, Often we don't come into worship well prepared, do we? If I, and I'm not going to do this, but if I were to take a poll this morning of 
How many of you got into an argument with at least one member of your family on the way to church this morning? Most of us would say, if it didn't happen this morning, it happened last week or the week before. Saturday night can be stressful. Sunday morning can be crazy. And we don't always walk in in the right mindset. And sometimes we come in and maybe we come in and we sing the songs, but our hearts and minds aren't really there. Or maybe we're sitting there going, man, why did Tim pick that song? Why is Tim wearing that? Right? Oh man, I came here and I wanted to hear a sermon and they've got that mad guy up there again. Why is it Fisher's always on vacation when I come to church? And we're not ready to worship. And so we come in with the wrong mindset and the wrong attitude. We come in saying, uh, what can I glean? Or maybe we come in saying, I just got to get this Sunday morning thing over with and move on with my week. Or maybe as that plate passes by, you go, oh yeah, I got to do the giving thing. And I toss a couple bucks in. Or the sign comes up, they need more volunteers in the nursery. Why are they always hassling me? And we don't come in saying, God, I want to give you in my worship, with my body, with my mind, with my heart, everything. Because you own me. Because you made me. Because Jesus died and rose again for me. As we look at the book of Malachi, the important thing to remember, this is a tough passage this morning. Not tough to understand, but tough to apply. And it's convicting. And as we look at it, it's important to remember that Malachi is talking to people who know God, who have a relationship with God. And Malachi is not saying that in order to have some sort of status before God, we need to bring appropriate worship. Instead, Malachi is saying for those who do know him, those whom he has called out of sin and death, those that God has said, I've got a relationship with you. Your worship is a reflection of that relationship. It's a reflection to the rest of the community of believers and it's a reflection to the world. Do I love and honor and respect God because of who he is? Do the attitudes I bring into worship honor and respect God? So we're going to look at Malachi chapter 1. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. If you hit Matthew, you have gone too far. It's right after Zechariah. What's going on in the book of Malachi is you have uh, Israelites who have the opportunity to worship God because God has redeemed them from Egypt and then later redeemed them from exile to Babylon. And yet they come into the temple and their attitudes are, God's making me do this whole temple thing. God's making me worship. I really don't want to be a part of this worship thing, but whatever. And so they bring offerings with a heart that's begrudging toward God. And Malachi says, that's not going to cut it. Malachi is written around 450 BC, somewhere in that range. It is after the nation of Israel has come out of Babylon. They've had the opportunity now to return to Israel. They're living in Jerusalem. The temple has been rebuilt. They are under the rule of Persia, generally. They have a Persian governor. And one of the problems these people are facing is that they're poor. They have a hard time getting a crop. And when they do, the Persians tend to take a heavy tax. And so uh, they feel burdened by the obligation to bring offerings of worship before God. And so what they do is they bring offerings that are just not quite up to snuff. And the priests let them get away with it. And so Malachi chapter 1, God addresses this issue. He says, I love you. You're my people. I want to know you. 
But what I will not accept and I cannot stand is cheap worship. Cheap worship when you come in and you say, I'm just going to do the bare minimum to get by. And they treat the worship of God as an obligation rather than as a joy. That's a real danger, I think, for you and me. We have been given eternal life because Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. That ought to make us go through our days immensely grateful. And yet it's easy to become cold toward the things of God. I'm certainly not immune to it as a pastor. Perhaps I face that danger as much or more than any, right? I have an office in the building where we worship. I have four shelves stacked seven feet high with spiritual books on them, some of which I've read, right? (laughs) It would be so easy for me to come in day after day and see this all as a burden, as an obligation. If you've grown up in church, if you've gone for many years, it's very easy for that to happen and not to recognize the immense privilege it is to approach God's throne because of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on in Malachi chapter 1. Let me read this passage for us before we move on. Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly? says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. First thing you see in this passage in verses 6 through 10 is that cheap worship is unacceptable. Cheap worship is unacceptable. Uh, Many of you around this time of year, May, June, you may have a wedding anniversary. A lot of people get married May and June. Uh, You may have just had an anniversary. Now, men, imagine it hits that anniversary day. I'm not saying this ever happened to you. Imagine it hits that day, though, and you forgot. And you go, I got to do something. So on your way home, you notice a flower vendor on the side of the road. Half the flowers are dead, but you know, whatever. So you buy it because it's cheap. You bring it home. You forgot to make a reservation anywhere. So, you know, you pick up Fazoli's or something on the way home, a little styrofoam box. 
dead flowers. You show up. Happy anniversary. I love you. Is that going to cut it? No, right? Be better not to do anything at all, wouldn't it? Be better just to go, nah, I'm sorry, I forgot. Okay? It's not going to cut it. Why? Because it doesn't demonstrate the level of love that hopefully you have for this individual after however many years of marriage. Those who have kids know that moment perhaps when you ask your kids to do something. Would you please pick up these toys and go put them away? And they act like you've just asked them to climb Mount McKinley, right? Oh, fine, right? And the toys are twice as heavy now as they were when they got them out, right? And you go, yeah, begrudging obedience is almost worse than no obedience at all. Notice I feed you, right? Notice I let you live in my home. I gave you life. Have a good attitude about it. What's going on in Malachi's day is men and women are coming to the temple. And what they're doing is they are bringing begrudging worship. Right? The, the law actually said that they were supposed to bring an unblemished lamb or goat for sacrifice. And it was supposed to be the firstborn of the flock. Right? But instead, what they're doing is they are bringing blemished ones. So this guy goes out to his field and he says, I've got to bring an offering this week. Looks at his servant and goes, just grab that one. The servant says, well, this one can't walk. It's lame. Now, nah, just get it. We just got to bring something. They bring it to the temple and the priest looks at it. And Leviticus 1 tells them clearly it's supposed to be a spotless, unblemished, healthy animal because God wants the best from them. And yet the priest looks at it and goes, good enough, and accepts it. And they treat this worship of God as an obligation that they have to fulfill. And a terrible one at that. And so they bring worship that is cheap. God doesn't prefer begrudging, cheap, lazy worship any more than you and I would. God wants to have a relationship with us of love, a relationship that is based on the fact that he gave us life. He keeps us alive. He redeemed us from death and from sin. For the nation of Israel, he had led them out of Egypt with signs and wonders and miracles. He'd given them the promised land. When they fell into idolatry and then into exile, God saved them again, brought them back to the land, reestablished the walls of the city, reestablished the temple. And he says, you have the opportunity again to worship me. And yet after about 70 or 80 years go by, a couple of generations, they forget again. The cheap worship is unacceptable. God says, would you give that lamb to your governor? No, you wouldn't. He wouldn't accept it. So why would you give it to me? Because all they're thinking about is themselves. They're approaching God in worship, much like you and I probably approach the IRS once a year, right? How many of us have ever gotten an extra gift from family and decided, you know, I'm going to give the IRS a little extra gift this year. Right? Write a little card, thank you. Put an extra check in there for him. Send it away. All right, I've never done that. Maybe you have. If so, you're a better person than I am. Maybe. Right? We don't do that, right? What do we do? Oh, gosh, got to pay these taxes. 
sit down and it's, it's a chore, isn't it? It feels like an obligation. Right? There's no love lost between most of us and the tax man. It's the same way often in the way that we approach God, except that's a tragedy. Because God says, I love you. And that's how these people have become. He says, I don't want cheap worship. Instead, I want the kind of worship that gives your very best, right? Acceptable worship in God's eyes does a few things. It gives God the best we have. I love 2 Samuel 24. David, King David, is trying to buy a threshing floor excuse me, from a man named Arana. And the, the threshing floor is right where the temple needs to be. And so David wants to buy this threshing floor to set up an altar for God. And Arana, the man who owns the threshing floor, says, look, King David, just take it. You don't have to buy it. Just take it from me and I'll give it to God. And David says, I will not offer to God a burnt offering that costs me nothing. How much is it? And he insists upon paying for it. Because he recognizes that God is worthy of the very best we have. And now the issue is not the amount of money we give. The issue is not how loud you sing or how well you sing. The issue is not even what clothes you wear. The issue is that God wants the best you have to offer in the context of worship. That your heart and your mind and your voice And your spirit are directed toward him to say, God, I'm here to worship you. I'm not here primarily to be praised, to be honored, to be entertained. I'm here to worship you. I give not to fulfill an obligation, but I give as an act of worship to my God. And so I'll give of the first of my time, of my money, of my energy to a holy God. Gives God the very best, gives God what's important to God. Gives God what he wants. That's why in Matthew 22, Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. You know what Jesus is really saying there? He's talking about money. He's saying, look, Caesar can have the money. Point is, God wants you. You give God what God wants. Going back to the anniversary illustration, uh, men, most of us would not buy our wives a circular saw for the anniversary. I mean, maybe if she really wants that, right? That's probably not the best gift because that's a gift for me. It's what I want. It's not what she wants, right? I had a conversation with my son, my three-year-old son this past week, and he could not understand why I do not want a toy train of my own in my room next to my bed. I explained, I was like, well, most of the time in my room, I'm just, I'm sleeping or I'm reading or whatever. I don't really need a toy train, but daddy, it's a toy train, right? Don't you want one in your room? No, I don't. And he could not get it. We talked about it for a few minutes. He just couldn't understand why would daddy not want a toy train? That's because that's not what I want. Now, if it was an electric train that went around the ceiling or something like that, maybe. (laughs) But a little wooden train? No, that's not what I want. If it's my birthday, give me what I want. Not what you want. Acceptable worship gives God what he wants. What does he want? He wants you. He wants you to say, my life my money, my energy, my time, all of it is his. And so when I give, I give as a recognition that I belong to him. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 
Your body belongs to him because he paid for it, because he made it, because he owns it. And so worship is an opportunity to say, God, I give you the very best I've got because that's what I know you want. You want me. And it's motivated out of love. We love because he first loved us. Because Jesus died for us, because Jesus rose again. We love because he first loved us. He's given us that opportunity. Does your worship honor God? Or do you treat it as an obligation? Whether it's here on Sunday, whether it's throughout the week. Say, yeah, I got to carve out my 10 minutes to read the Bible. And you say, I get to. Because God loves me in Jesus Christ and he wants to know me. He says, cheap worship won't cut it. Instead, what we see as we look throughout Malachi 1 is that worship is a privilege. Look again at verses 11 through 14. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Sometimes we don't view our privileges as the privileges they really are, right? So we go to clean the house and we're complaining about cleaning the house without thinking, I have a house to clean, right? Go to mow the lawn. Don't like mowing the lawn, but I have a lawn, right? And we don't view things as privileges often when they really are. When I was in seminary, four years in seminary, it was a lot of work, a lot of money. And there were days that I would go to class and I thought, I don't really want to be here right now. And it was easy to forget that there were people all over the place who would kill metaphorically, right? For the privilege, for the privilege to study God's word. One day in class, one of my professors uh, read a letter from an African student. And it was at one of those times when I was feeling a little bit sorry for myself. Why do I got to take these classes? Why do I got to spend this money? Blah, blah, blah. Here's what this letter said from a student, uh, an African student who was about to come over to DTS said this, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus. My wife and I are still trusting the Lord for a scholarship from Dallas Seminary to enable me to enroll the next school year. Our village was attacked by rebel forces and we lost everything we had. I would appreciate were you to email a photocopy of my letter of acceptance from DTS. Kindly consider my request. My letter of acceptance got missing when some unknown gunmen stayed in my home after we ran away from home. Kind of put things in perspective, right? My apartment felt small to me, but there were no gunmen living there, right? I had the opportunity to go and learn about God's word. And here's a man who says, look, can you just maybe email me my letter of acceptance? Because the gunmen came in, they burned down my house, they took everything I have. I still want to go to this place where I can learn the word of God. And we forget that it's a privilege to come here in a place where we are able to be free to sing 
and to praise and to worship. And we can do it because Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, has paved the way for us to know God. So God says to these people, you've forgotten that worshiping me is a privilege. So he says, look, I'll go to the nations, the Gentiles around, and I will find worshipers. And they'll stream in from all over the place to worship at my temple if you don't want to do it. And we think of all God had done for them, all God has done for us. He says, you get to worship me. You get to sing these songs and remind yourself week after week after week of who I am. You get to give to the work that God is doing all over the world to spread the gospel, to make his name known. You get to serve in the church. It's a huge privilege. God says, now you've snorted and sneered at the temple. My, how tiresome it is. And you bring what's taken by robbery. You steal sheep from somebody else rather than give of your own. You bring what's lame. You bring what's sick. You say you're going to give of the firstborn and then hypocritically you swap it out at the last minute and you cheat God. He says, I won't take that from your hand. I'm a great king and it's a privilege to worship. You know, King David, I come back to him again for all of his flaws he understood that worship is a privilege. If you look at 2 Samuel 6, when the Ark of the Covenant is brought back to Jerusalem, when they recover it from the Philistines and then they eventually bring it back, here comes David in front of it and he's dancing and he's leaping before the Ark of God to the point that his wife says, you look really silly. But David rejoices because he loves the fact that he gets to worship God. 2 Samuel 7, David offers to build a temple for God, to invest money, time, energy that could have gone into his own house to build a temple for God. And although David didn't build the temple ultimately, God rewarded him with an everlasting covenant because David understood worship. God says, I will be worshiped. My hope is that you and I won't be like the the men and women in the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. Jesus talks about this king. He gives a feast for his son's wedding and they go out and all the invited guests say, eh, not too interested. So what happens? They go out into the highways, the byways, the sides of the road, and they invite people from all over the place to come and rejoice because it's a privilege to be at that feast. That's Jesus' way of saying, If my people will not worship, I'll find people to worship. I'll raise up rocks and stones. I'll do whatever I have to do because God will be worshiped because worship is a privilege. I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, you know, for my birthday, you give me what I want, right? Not what you want. My birthday was actually last week. I'm still waiting on cards from most of you. (laughs) But um, one of the things that I love is my wife uh, makes amazing homemade pies. And uh, we had gone out uh, and picked some berries, some uh, dewberries not too far from here and uh, brought them home a couple of weeks ago. And I said, really what I would love is if you would bake a pie with those. She makes the crust, the whole deal. And so um, 
This is not an invitation, by the way, to come over after church. Um, It's gone. We've eaten it all. Uh, She made one of these earlier this week. And I jokingly, uh, you know, put a picture or something on Facebook. I said, I'm not sharing this with you. Now, the reality is that there were a couple of people who happened to be over. And so we shared the pie. Now, imagine uh, that they had come into our house and they began to eat that pie. Or I said, here, have a slice of this unbelievable pie that my wife made. And they said, I guess if I have to get out of my house, right? (laughs) This is a privilege. I'm not sharing this with you just because I'm making you, right? I'm letting you, okay? It's a privilege. God says worship is a privilege. You get to come in and sing and give and serve. You get to go out during the week and share the message of Jesus Christ. We get to be representatives of his character in a world that needs him. It's a huge privilege. And that's what Malachi is saying. I will raise up worshipers who recognize the privilege it is to be in my presence. So how can we restore this joy of worship? How can we reset our priorities? A few applications as we close up. Remember each day what God has given us through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. God in his mercy, when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, gave us Jesus Christ, raised us up and gave us eternal life. That's where worship begins. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that's the single message for you this morning. Is that the way to know God, the only way to truly worship God is through Jesus, by recognizing what he has done. He took away our sin. And in much the same way that he saved the nation of Israel from death and destruction in Egypt and in the exile, he saved us from death and destruction due to sin and eternal destruction and raised us up and given us life. So each day you say, God, thank you for what you've done for me through Jesus Christ. Remember that worship is a privilege. Remind myself each day, I get to share the gospel. I get to sing songs of worship. I get to go to church. I get to serve. I get to give. I get to do these things. I don't have to. But I get to. Examine your daily worship. Are you cultivating gratitude? Do you give God the best and first of what you have, of your money and of your time? Or is it an afterthought? after you do everything else. Practically speaking, as you approach Sunday, a couple of thoughts. Prepare yourself for worship. Get ready. On Saturday night, uh, with your roommates or your spouse or your family, your kids, perhaps spend a few minutes and say, let's read the passage, if you know what it is, the passage for tomorrow. Let's pray God will help us understand it. Let's spend a few minutes in private worship as a family singing some songs, readying our hearts. 
Sunday morning, perhaps, in the chaos of getting ready. Do that. Lay out the clothes on Saturday night so you're ready Sunday morning with all, all the chaos and craziness. It's still going to be chaotic. It's still going to be crazy. But take a few moments to prepare yourself, prepare your heart, prepare your family to come in so when you get in here, you're not still seething over an argument over your kids' socks and what color they are, right? But you're ready to worship. And then plan to respond thoughtfully. As you take notes, as you let the Spirit move, as you go back, go back on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, Monday morning, and review what God has for you in his word and write out each week, baby, this is how I will worship this week based on this passage. And begin to cultivate that spirit that worship is a privilege. It's an opportunity to represent Jesus Christ. Sit down in God's presence and say, here's the meal that I have. I know it's not perfect, but I want to give you the best I've got because you gave it all to me to begin with through Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, thank you for Jesus. We fail in many ways every day. And yet, God, we desire to represent you well. And so we pray through the power of your spirit that we would serve you the very best we have. Father, we pray we would not be content with just looking the right way, but instead we would seek each day to dig deeply into your word, to relate to you through prayer and thanksgiving and become more like Jesus Christ so that we can actually become the men and women you are calling us to be, who worship you and represent you to a world that needs to see you. Thank you, Father, for this time, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.